This is the Real Estate Investing Abundance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I know you're excited to get into today's show, but I have a very exciting announcement to share with you before moving to the show. We've just launched a complimentary and comprehensive webinar that, among other things, shows you how to legally use passive real estate investing to reduce your taxes, recession-proof your nest egg, and take the sting out of inflation. If you are curious to learn more, go to steetalker.com forward slash webinar. It is complimentary and only takes a couple of minutes of your time. Once again, that is steetalker.com forward slash webinar. I'll see you in the webinar. Enjoy today's show. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Allen, and I'm delighted to be back with you again today as we take a look at passive investing in real estate with Charles Carrillo. And Charles is a returning guest. He was with us back in 2001. And you can learn more wisdom from Charles by going to episode 52. And Charles is the managing partner of Harborside Partners, a real estate syndication firm, and has been actively investing in multifamily and commercial real estate since 2006. Since that time, he has invested in over $200 million worth of investment properties. Charles is also the host of the Global Investor Podcast, where he interviews professionals about investing in the United States real estate markets. So Charles, take us into the show and share a memorable experience that brought you to where you are today. A memorable experience, I would say, was uh, buying my first rental property. That was something that got the whole thing started and didn't really know what I was doing at that point, but um, which I think most people don't when they buy their first rental property. <laughs> uh, and you learn a lot very quickly, drinking out of a fire hose. But uh, I would say that was that's what really started the whole process. And what kind of property was that? It was a little uh, three-family. My first couple properties were um, three-family. This one I was doing a house hack on. And uh, it it needed a lot more a lot more repairs and renovations to get prepped for in uh, renters than I had anticipated or had budgeted for, but um, I was still able to do it. And it took me like two months or three months working with contractors to get it done. Uh, on my second one, I was a little bit more knowledgeable, and it was less work when I purchased it. And I had it all; everybody was lined up before, so it made it a lot easier, and there was a lot better planning to go on with it. But um... <laughs> well, that is the way I think a lot of us uh, start out. I particularly like the house hacking. That's where I started too. Essentially, was with the house hack, and I bought a single family home and converted it to a triplex, oh. and. <laughs> I did all the work myself on that first one. So learned it from the ground up there. Well, Charles, what makes cash flowing real estate so powerful? Cash flowing real estate is one of the best asset classes, I feel, because it allows you, you have two things that are happening there that you're really generating wealth. Number one is you're having the appreciation of the asset, which is great, which means that your investment, your property is going up in value. Uh, you know, over there might be some down years, but over a whole period of five plus years, you're going to see increase there. And then cash flowing portion of it is great because during any ups or downs in the market, you're able to realize some cash 
flow from that property as a distribution form, which could be done uh, monthly or quarterly, but it allows the investor to uh, see some of the returns, uh, actually receive some of them instead of just certain investments, whether it's just all appreciation, you don't really see that. And you're just kind of hoping it's kind of more of a, a guess, right? Of what you're going to have at the end of it. Um, I, call it to the- I call it a gamble. Yeah. yeah. It's exactly. And we always love appreciation. And I'd love to work some into some uh, estimates and stuff and kind of for the back of my mind of what I'm thinking it's going to go up. But that's it is like you said, it's a it's completely a gamble with the cash flowing part. You have something where you can show uh, yourself, you can show your investors exactly what kind of cash flow is going to be coming off that that investment over these years and um, some months or some quarters it'll be higher than others but over the uh, lifetime of that you'll be able to realize those returns before actually selling the property makes a lot of sense well what are some of the biggest mistakes that real estate uh, investors starting out uh, rather than doing all the work themselves Mm -hmm. or underestimating (laughs) (laughs) doing all the work yourself is one thing that I've never done all the work myself on a property, but it's one of those things that you learn a lot, but it's also very time intensive. And if you have, if you're investing into real estate, you probably uh, have a different occupation that allows you to get paid more than what you get paid uh, or paying someone else for to do work and get it really just done. Because the real goal is really getting the work done. Um, If you have a renovation that you have to do before putting people in there, it's really getting it done as soon as possible, getting people in there, and then kind of going on, going on around uh, about your business. But mistakes I would see investors make, number one is on their first property, they're they're taking on too much of a heavy lift. So they're getting into a project that's requiring a lot of renovations up front. And um, if you've never done it before, it requires a lot of people on your team, as we were just talking about, unless you want to do it all yourself. But some things you're just not going to be able to do yourself. Some things that required licenses and some things that, I mean, if you've never done a roof before, you probably shouldn't be doing one in your house for the first time. So as you own property, you start to build your network and you you build your network of vendors and contractors. But on your first one, you're not going to have that. You might have met someone and say, oh, I'm a contractor. And then they don't show up and now you're back to square one. So after you've done a project or two, then you really have a team, let's say, that you can call upon for estimating new projects you're looking at and then also utilizing on future projects. So renovations, major ones, major renovations for your first property, I would say is a no. And that's something you should avoid. I would also say people getting very short-term debt on a first project. Um, you know, there's different financing for different levels of real estate investors, but getting any type of um, very short or very variable type of debt for your first project is not not suggested. It's something where you should be getting get long term fixed debt. You know exactly what your payment's going to be for the lifetime of it, or if it's a commercial property, probably for the first five or 10 years. And it gives you enough time to get the project uh, where it's supposed to be, even with some hurdles that you're overcoming. Um, So those would really be the two. And then the third one I would say is not buying in good areas. The numbers, brokers have a way of making numbers on lower class properties, let's say, look fantastic. Okay. Uh, Huge returns is what they're saying. Managing it, is a whole different story. And you will go brain dead trying to manage those properties and manage everybody, not just the tenants, but also handymen and contractors that have to go into those properties. So I would say 
Um, spend extra money, buy better properties in better areas. And that's where you're also, you're going to get the cash flow. You're going to get long-term tenants, and you're also going to get more appreciation. Poor properties don't really appreciate. So those would be the the three things I would say about mistakes I see. I would totally agree with those three. I would just add one more, and that is undercapitalization mm-hmm. and insufficient uh, reserves. Both of those, or all four of those things are going to get you in trouble mm-hmm. anytime, but certainly yeah. when you're new in the in the market here. So outside of avoiding these four things, how do we uh, mitigate risk when investing in real estate? Uh, mitigate risk, I would say number one is what you just said, which is having the reserve. The reserve is huge. And if you think it's going to cost uh, 20000 to do a renovation, it's going to cost you 30000 and uh, make sure that you're putting away. When we talk reserves, that sounds great, but I, I mean, you want to put away I would say at least six months of your expenses. Okay. So mortgage payments, insurance, taxes, all that into an account that you're not going to touch and then add on to it every month for repairs that are going to happen. And maybe you've bought something and it's, uh, you know, you've got five years left on all these mechanicals or 10 years left and the roof's good. Still put away money every month from your cash flow into that savings account. And because there will be issues that pop up and, you know, certain, Tenants don't care about your financial situations and they're just not going to pay rent. So if the roof was never taken care of or if hot water stops, I mean, you're just going to have, first of all, it's you're not taking care of your part of the bargain as a landlord and you want your tenant to pay their bargain of it. So it's good business if you fix that as soon as possible, but that money has to come from somewhere. So having the reserves is number one. Number two, I would say is... um, when looking for properties, um, you know, you, you're getting more units. The more units that you're able to purchase, it's going to be something that's going to make your management much easier. So dealing with a, like you said, you had a triplex, I had a triplex. It's great. It'll make your management much easier in that sense because your cash flow, the more units you have, the less volatile that cash flow is. Um, renting a single family house might look great on paper, but as someone moves out, now that property is 100% down compared to a duplex, compared to a triplex or quad, which you can finance with your regular, as we're talking about, your regular FHA or residential mortgages without any type of problem. Makes sense. Uh, Sounds good. Well, how do you decide which sponsors, deals, and markets uh, to focus on? So uh, markets, there's really three parts to markets when I'm looking and I I actively uh, invest. We do our own syndications, but I would say the majority, uh, I do more passive investing, well, more deal-wise passive investing um, uh, on a yearly basis. And when, when looking at those deals, number one, the markets is uh, I want to see a a market that's growing, you know, population growth, which is number one. Number two is you want to see job growth, which can be a little harder to track because you want to make sure that jobs are coming in that uh, are going to be really living. Those tenants are going to be living at your properties, your target properties. And number three is I want to see a decrease in crime. And one in three are easy. You can just Google those in one second and see what those look like. And really what you want to see is you want to see a consistent Increase in population over like 20 years. You can pick a number, but we usually do 20 years. I want to see job growth uh, increasing over 20 years, and I want to see a, a consistent, um, a consistent decrease in crime. And obviously, there's going to be years where you know it's not perfect. But if I look at 20 years ago and I look at today, I'm going to see a decrease in that that's steady, and that shows that not only is crime decreasing, but also you can see that the economy the MSA, the market is investing into education and healthcare. And that's what will be a long-term thing. It's easy to lock people up and then 10 years later it changes, 
But when you see the steady decrease over many decades, that's when you know that there's been some real reinvestment into uh, facilities in that area. And um, it's very hard to fake that. Yeah, that's a good indicator. I don't think I've, been, I've heard of too many people really focusing on the decrease in crime. I know people look at the current crime rate, mm. but that's a good factor. I'll have to keep that in mind because, yeah, it shows a lot of people might look at that and think, oh, it's just uh, law enforcement. But really what is happening there is actually investment in communities. That is what really decreases crime. So good indicator there. You've talked about syndication and active investing. So what is a syndication? So a syndication is where you have two groups of people. You have the general partners who are also known as the operators or the sponsors on the deal. And you have the limited partners or the passive investors. And so what happens is this model goes back uh, hundreds of years. And what it is, is that you have the general partners who are the ones that are operating the deal. They're going to find the deal. They're going to do everything. Everything one would do that owns a property, a rental property. And then on the other side, um, you're going to have the limited partners or past investors. They have one job uh, in the eyes of the general partners, and that is to fund the purchase and fund the renovations of that project. The general partners are the ones that will be following through on the business plan that were outlined um, for this for this project. So you'll have many times where passive investors can now invest with um, smaller amounts of money than it would definitely cost for them to purchase that same property, but it gives them exposure into a larger property or in a different market that they might not have any um, people on the ground, any team there, or they just don't want to deal with any of that, which is usually what it is. So you might own a couple of duplexes and then someone comes along and says, hey, do you want to invest in this 150 unit complex, um, you know, one state over? Well, that was something now in their portfolio where they have exposure to that market. They have exposure to a large complex like that. That's probably going to be a little bit more consistent cash flow wise than their duplexes. And it allows them to really uh, step back from the active role a little bit and uh, and operating the real estate um, asset management portion of it or property management portion. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episode. Well, Charles, you've got a wealth of knowledge and experience. Tell our viewers and listeners how it is that they can get in touch with you to take advantage of that knowledge and experience. Yeah, sure, Alan. Uh, so our company is Harborside Partners, and you can find us online at harborsidepartners.com. And uh, we uh, will work with we work with passive investors. We have a guide online that is a free guide to passive investing. If you want to learn more about dealing with syndications, what they are. And uh, if you're interested in investing, there's also a form there for learning um, how to get in touch with one of our partners and uh, learn more how you can get involved with investing in the syndications throughout the Southeast. And all of that information is in our show notes. So you do, uh, you have opportunities for out of uh, the U.S. investors. Tell us about how you work with them and how foreign investors can invest with you in the United States. 
So for foreign investors, it's a very similar process to U.S. investors, except for a, a couple more hurdles that are put in place. Number one is that when we have, uh, we work with a lot of foreign investors, and when foreign investors are looking investing into a syndication in the United States, uh, what we'll do is, number one, is we kind of get on a call with them. We go through exactly how they're currently set up. If most investors we have have some sort of setup in the United States already, uh, some sort of corporation, um, or they have a, um, they've done investing before in the U.S. So we kind of see exactly how they're set. And then number two is what we'll do is in most situations, if not all of them, we pass them, we give them a list of providers that we've used, CPAs, attorneys, um, accountants that they can uh, contact that work specifically with foreign investors for the majority of their business. And um, this, these investors, we have them uh, speak to uh uh, one of these professionals, and um, they can choose who to work with, or they can find their own, uh, whatever's easier for them. But either way, it's important that they're set up correctly before they're investing into any kind of project here in the United States. Tax trees got different per country, and taxes are greatly different between a U.S. citizen and a non-U.S. citizen that wants to invest in the U.S. But the process is very simple, and. Um, it will uh, usually it, it consists of you getting set up with a limited partnership, uh, an, an LLP, limited liability partnership, or a limited liability corporation here in the United States, and your attorney or accountant will help you do that. Then the second part of it is opening up a bank account here in the United States, and that's also something that we can assist you with, with giving you names of companies and banks that do work with international investors. And then the third part of it is really um, when money is paid out to foreign investors, so non-U.S. citizens, um, we are required to withhold a portion of your distributions, and you will get that back from the U.S. government once you file your annual taxes. So it's just one more kind of step um, getting you set up, whereas a U.S. investor can just you know pay their taxes to the government as, as required. The, the U.S. government does not trust uh, foreign investors, let's say, that much. They want to make sure that those funds are staying here in the United States and with them until they've done a tax return, which will show you that it's money's owed back to that investor. So if investors are interested in that, they can reach out and we can talk to them about that. But it's a similar process. It's just a couple more steps and we can do that and uh, assist uh, investors in getting them done. What are the pitfalls uh, for foreign investors other than the fact that uh, the government's going to take a portion of their of their cash flow and hold on to that and uh, and earn their own interest on that rather than <laughs> them earning it for uh, the year? <laughs> so uh, one of the main ones is that there is a so for U.S. citizens the estate state free you can you know you can air your estate to someone and i think it limits like 12 million dollars without penalties for foreign investors it's sixty thousand dollars which means that if someone hasn't done at this point in time if someone hasn't done their planning i mean a fifty thousand dollar investment can get up that you know you can make that much money on a, on a smaller inv passive investment so it's very important that people are getting that set up so the taxes can be a trap if it's not if it's not done correctly. And I would say a second part is even though, as I mentioned, it's a pretty simple process, right? You're dealing with the U.S. government and you're dealing with different agencies setting stuff up um, in the sense of corporations and stuff like that. Um, it can take three or four months, right? Um, from the time you have your call with your accountant to the time that you're getting your uh, 
your tax ID number and your LLC and your EIN and all this kind of stuff in the bank account. Um, I mean, it's a process that could be three or four months. So if it's something that you're interested in uh, investing in U.S. real estate, um, it's just something that you want to start the process sooner than later. And um, like I said, it's it's not a difficult process. It is a because of the government intervention. I mean, it, it does take a longer term. I mean, once you get to the point where you open up a bank account, that's done in like a day or two, but the whole process leading up to that. And then the final part is really when you fund your bank account, because uh, U.S. syndicators like ourselves, we will only accept funds from that U.S. bank account. We cannot accept funds internationally. And uh, that's just to protect us as well. Well, for U.S. citizens who are working full-time jobs, what advice do you have for them in terms of getting into or expanding uh, their investments in real estate? So if, uh, like most professionals as uh, are probably interested in just the benefits of real estate, not really becoming a landlord. I don't think anybody really wants to become a landlord per se. It's it's really, if you're in that, you really want to become a passive investor. And it's really figuring out what you want to invest into. I mean, real estate, there's so many different real estate classes. You know, there's commercial, there's retail, there's multifamilies. We're talking about a lot here, RV parks, um, mobile homes, self-storage, and finding out really what you want to invest into. And uh, then finding out, as you do research more into it, what really is uh, is your goal. We have some investors that want to uh, really invest their money and they don't really need any type of cash flow or distribution. They're really looking to get higher returns by not having that normal distribution. And there's other investors that really are focused on getting that distribution, getting that, uh, that regular cash flow. Um, so it figure out exactly what's most important to you. And then when you start reaching out to syndicators and um, finding out exactly what they offer, they also know what you're doing. So they know what your goals are and they can direct you to uh, opportunities that might fit and check those boxes. But um, it's important to let people know that you've reached out to what you really want and what you're looking for. And those are really the questions some of the questions we ask on our first call when people reach out to us is, you know, what are your goals? Um, what is your experience in real estate before? I mean, what do you really want out of this? And for the most part, you'll have some people that say, oh, I want to be a syndicator, but I'm just doing it passively to start. Or I, you, you'll hear a lot is I have some small investments actively and I want to get into bigger stuff. And this is their route of doing it is going passive route and uh, really, you know, expanding their portfolio out of their local market and out of small properties. So that's really um, kind of the questions that we ask and kind of how we formulate and start the relationship. Charles, we're in uh, some uncertain times and to say the least here. I know this is looking into your crystal ball, but what do you see happening in the real estate market within the next uh, couple of years? I think what we're going to do is uh, 2023 is going to be a, uh, there's not going to be many rent increases. We're seeing rents already pulling back in many markets. And um, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get rent increases on your properties. That means that a unit that is in the same condition in the beginning of 2023, that's in the same of at the end of 2023 is probably going to get the same rents or a little bit less. However, uh, for what we do is we're focusing on value add and adding value to units and renovating, repair, and repositioning properties. We don't really see too much of an issue there with our business plans. What we've been doing and what we see coming is we've been kind of um, not pausing our business plans and our um, renovations, but we've been really cutting back on them. 
maybe we were doing on one property four or five units a month. Maybe we're doing one or two, making sure that we're still getting the rent increases, the set rents that we had anticipated a year or so before. And when we see that kind of taper off, or if it does, or if it doesn't, we will adjust the number of units that we're renovating by the appetite of the tenant base. So that's one thing that I'm we're seeing and how we're kind of playing this in 2023. What I see too is um, it really depends on where regional banks are and they are a huge lender for real estate. Um, if you're buying a property and it's uh, under a few million dollars, you're not going to be going to a large bank. You're going to be going to a small regional local banks, local credit unions, which we love to work with because they love lending on um, small commercial and multifamily properties. If that starts seizing up, that's going to really put a strain on people buying, people refinancing, and um, people selling properties. And that's going to really, uh, that'll pull back prices even more. But I have to say, I mean, we're selling a property right now and it was, um, there's still buyers out there. There's buyers out there and um, they are, they're probably not paying as high as they were when we were selling last year on some properties, but um, it's very close. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you have quality properties out there, you're going to be in a better position than people with less than ideal properties, let's say. So if you're buying good properties in good areas, they're going to be more liquidity for those properties compared to, you know, D-class properties or C-minus properties. So that's another thing uh, I would see. And on interest rates, I have no idea. That's uh, that's really mm -hmm. crystal bar there. I think we are hitting up on the top there of where they might go. How far, if they do come down, we'll, we'll soon find out and um, we'll see. But um, with interest rates being where they are now, it actually is a benefit for multifamily investors because um, people aren't selling their houses if they've got locked in at this low interest rates that uh, people were able to get over the last uh, three or four years. And I think I saw a stat the other day or so was uh, it's like over 90% or 94% of homes in the United States, residential homes are under 4% interest rates. Mm -hmm. So that's massive. Those people really need to get deals on properties if they're going to move out and they're going to stay where they are now. Makes it harder for renters, which means that if you own apartments uh, where you have possible home buyers in, you're probably going to see them stay a year or two longer until this kind of shakes out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting times. We will see what uh, comes of this. Um, yeah. But yes, uh, it sounds like you're doing a good job on your end of it and protecting your assets. And that's certainly what uh, investors who are looking at passive investments uh, certainly need to be looking at in terms of how that debt stack is stacking up with any mm -hmm. particular investor. Well, Charles, it has been wonderful having you back with us today. Thanks for returning. It has been a pleasure once again. Thanks again, Alan, for having me on again. Enlightened investors, wait, wait, don't go just yet. I just want to remind you about our recently launched webinar that you will not want to miss. If you're at all curious and would like to learn more about how real estate investing can diversify your investment portfolio, alleviate the anxiety associated with Wall Street swings, leverage your 401ks and IRAs to substantially increase the return on your investment, and do all of this with turnkey, hands-off, passive real estate investments, then you'll want to immediately go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. In the webinar, we'll also address the common dubious investment schemes that you want to avoid. To access the webinar, go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. I look forward to seeing you 
in the webinar. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.